Well, it's been a couple of weeks, but the last time we uh, we saw Moses, Moses was standing before Pharaoh and telling Pharaoh that God had told him to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And of course, Pharaoh argued with Moses and said no. And so then Moses begins through God uh, these plagues upon Egypt. And we had the plague of water to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the disease on the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and then darkness. And so it seems to me that kind of as we maybe a little bit that as we go along that the the plagues begin to get a little more severe. The first few maybe were just kind of inconveniences, you know, we got frogs and gnats and flies and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that's just kind of gross, but, you know, nothing. And then we got the old livestock being killed. And then we got hail, hail so bad that it killed animals. And then we got the locusts to come in and finish off all the crops. And then we had that petrifying darkness as well as the boils on people. That's pretty gross too, you know. And remember that, you know, after the first three, the, the things only started happening in Egypt, not in Goshen where Israel was, where the Jews were. And one of the things I think we have to realize as we read through these is we do not get a really firm grasp on the time period between the plagues. You know, the way we read them, it's like, well, you know, we had the water to blood one day and the frogs the next day and the flies the next day and the gnats the next day. And But when you really begin to read, it's not that way. And we don't really know how long of a time frame this was between the time that Moses first shows up to Pharaoh and then we have that next to last plague of darkness. It could have been... Several weeks. It could have easily been several months. It may have even been several years. Because, you know, one of the things that comes up is, well, you had the disease on the livestock that killed all the animals. But then you had the hail that killed all the animals. Well, it may have been there had been enough interval between the two for there to be more animals. You know, uh, I'm not sure. But we don't want to necessarily think of it as being right back to back. And so now we come to the final plague, if you want to call it a plague. And that's the death of the firstborn. Now, I told Dennis that we only have one slide tonight. And he said, well, then he might fall asleep. So every now and then look up and see if Dennis is awake. He's awake. All right. That's good. But last plague, this last event is very important, obviously, in Pharaoh's decision to finally let Israel go, even though he changes his mind afterwards. But it is a huge symbolic moment in time. It is all about, I believe, symbolizing what was to come through Jesus and the deliverance that was going to come through him. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in... Uh, Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. And we're going to read about what this final plague is going to be. And then we're going to read about what God is going to do for the Israelites. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. 
From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at a man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and say, go you and all the people will follow you. And after that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites out of the country. So God tells Pharaoh what's going to happen. Because he's hardened his heart, because he's refused to listen, because he's ignored God and all these other things. You would think after the first nine plagues, he'd have gotten Pharaoh's attention. But as we can see, Pharaoh kind of a stubborn guy. And so he hadn't gotten his attention yet. And so he tells him what's going to happen. But then God tells Moses to tell the Israelites what they need to do in order to prepare and protect themselves from that night that was about to come. So in chapter 12, it says, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be the first month for you, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they can share one with their nearest neighbor and take into account the number of people there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person, with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat meat raw or cooked in water but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Hmm. Do not leave anything of it until morning. If some of it is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both male, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So we see kind of a, a two-step process going on. God is telling Pharaoh and the Egyptians, I am bringing judgment on you. And this judgment is going to be beyond what you can ever even imagine. And it is going to require, it is going to uh, involve the death of every firstborn male. 
If you are the firstborn male in your family, raise your hand. Yeah. And see, I wonder what that means because I always thought of it this way up until this very time. See, I, you know, I, I think about things. You may not think so, but I think about things. Always up until this time, I thought that meant all the males who were the firstborn. Does that make sense? Like I am the first, I am the firstborn and I am a male in my family. How many of you, how many of you males have an older sister, but you're the first male in the family? Yeah, does that include, does this include you? See, I never thought of it that way before. But it says firstborn males. So just because you got an older sister doesn't save you. I don't think. I think it's going to be the firstborn male. And not only of the families, the human beings, but even of the animals. This is going to be devastating. I think one of the reasons is because of the culture of the time that this was going to devastate lineage of Pharaoh. His next in line was going to die. The one who would take his place was going to die. And then we have all the other things that are going on with this. This is a judgment on Egypt for the cruel and harsh treatment of God's chosen people for 430 years. It's a judgment on Pharaoh for not listening to God. And believing God and believing the signs that had been presented to him over I don't know how long. Perhaps years even. This confrontation with Moses and Pharaoh went on before uh, this moment. But God says he's going to bring judgment on Egypt. But he's going to save Israel. Now when we look at the Passover narrative. Some might. There's an important character. I guess you'd call a character. Some might say that it's a prop. Some might say he plays a supporting role. But the key character in the entire Passover is the lamb. It's the lamb. And so when we think about what the Passover represented and the foreshadowing of Jesus to come. We can see so many striking similarities, so many things that was preparing the Israelites for the coming of Jesus and the redemption that Jesus was going to bring. The Israelites are told that on the 10th day of the month, and I think it's interesting that this is the moment in which God basically says, you are now my nation separate from the rest of the world. Did you see how he did that? He gave them a new calendar. For you, today is the first day, the first month of your year. We're starting time right now. I don't care how the Egyptians keep time. I don't care how the Assyrians keep time. I don't care how the, you know, Babylonians keep time. I don't care. Anybody. For us, for you, right now, from this moment, your history begins. Is basically what God is saying. And he says, now on the 10th day of the month, you go out and you find the lamb 
and you take him and it has to be male, has to be a year old and can have no imperfections. And you keep that lamb with you for four days. Now, I'm just guessing. My guess is so that they could see if there was any imperfection that might arise in that animal within those four days. In other words, if it got sick within those four days, I think they'd have to get another animal. I'm just guessing. I don't know for sure. But then they were to uh, roast the whole lamb. They were to sacrifice it, put the blood on the doorpost, roast it whole, eat it along with some bitter herbs and yeast and bread without yeast. If anyone left, it was to be burned up. And they were to eat the meal ready to leave with sandals and everything ready to go. Having done all this, God would pass over their house as the firstborn were slain in Egypt and they would leave. You remember when Moses, Moses, Abraham, you remember when Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac and he and Isaac go up on the mountain. And Isaac is actually carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And they're about to get ready to, to make the sacrifice. And Isaac apparently had watched his dad sacrifice enough to know something's wrong. And he asked Abraham, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will... Provide. Now Isaac learned a little later that he was he was actually intended to be the sacrifice before God let him go. That question loomed over mankind for two thousand years. From this moment until the time of Jesus coming, and even after that for the Jews, can you imagine the millions of animals that were sacrificed? Between the sheeps and the goats and the doves and everything else. Over and over and over again. Day after day after day. Year after year after year. Animals after animals after animals. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrificed. And the cry could still be heard. Where is the lamb? And then one day. John is with his disciples. And he sees Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All this time between Moses and between Jesus, there had been lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb after goat after goat after everything until it was finally the Who could come and take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The Lamb that was worthy as we see in Revelation. The Lamb whose death was necessary to take our sins away. To free us from our bondage and the slavery of sin and its eternal consequences. So just like that Lamb that was sacrificed on the Passover night. Was able in a sense to save that household. From what was happening. Jesus the Lamb of God. Saves us. From the judgment that is coming in the world. 
Now, there's one difference between the Passover lamb and Jesus the lamb. And that is that the Passover lamb didn't have a choice. He didn't get to decide whether he wanted to or not. Daddy just went out, found the one that was perfect and said, you're the one. You ever see them when they, they, they part, the, the president pardons the, the uh, Thanksgiving turkey? <laughs> and then there's the other one that's, I guess, going to be eaten. I don't know, you know, but, but Jesus had a choice. Remember what we talked about this morning. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, you are my friends. Jesus was a willing, voluntary, sacrificial lamb. But besides the lamb, the blood was very important. Again, a foreshadowing of the culmination of God's ultimate plan. It was the blood that would be seen as a sign for death to the Passover of that particular house. So they put that blood on the doorpost or whatever. And when death came, and I don't know, you can call it an angel of death. You can call it, I don't know how it happened. But whenever death came, when they saw that blood, it passed over. Hence the name of Passover where the comes from. Let me ask you something. Was that absolutely necessary? Don't you think God knew who the Israelites were? Don't you think he could have he could have just bypassed Goshen and gone on into Egypt just like he had done with all those other plagues? He could have. There was significance there. Purpose for it. And I think it was a purpose so that the Israelites had to do something to demonstrate their faith. And I think, again, it was also the foreshadowing of how important the blood of Jesus Christ would be. Blood part of the sacrifices in Israel for years. Blood sprinkled here, blood sprinkled. You read the Old Testament, you read Leviticus about the priesthood and all the different things that are supposed to be done and, and how, you know, during all these feast days and everything else, you know, they'd kill the animal and then they'd sprinkle blood everywhere. I mean, it was a lot of blood. It was pretty gory. It would play an important part in Israel's sacrifices for years. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us, but those sacrifices on are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All that blood, all that sacrificing for thousands of years essentially accomplished nothing. I remember growing up and I remember the old time preachers talking about how that all it did was roll the sins forward. Well, I think that's kind of what it says here. It couldn't take away the sins. It moved them down the road another year. And so something had to give. It is in the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, that our sins are taken away. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19 says, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Romans 5 and verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Colossians 1 and verse 20 says, God reconciled all things to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So just as the Israelites were saved by the blood of the lamb, we too are saved by the blood of the lamb. But I think there's another important image portrayed in the Passover. In order for that house to be saved... They had to put the blood on the doorpost. I don't know. We don't have any record of it. I'm going to assume that perhaps all the Israelites did exactly what Moses told them. If that's true, it's the first and only time that they all did. But we don't have any record of them, any of them not doing it. But it seems pretty clear, does it not, that if somebody for some reason chose not to do that. Then their house would suffer the same fate as the houses of the Egyptians. He says, God does, then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Jesus' blood was shed for everyone. But only those who in faith and obedience have had the blood applied, been washed in the blood, had the promise of redemption. The blood was shed for everyone. But we've got to apply it through our obedience to Jesus Christ, through our obedience to the gospel. I saw this. I don't even remember where I saw it. But I saw something that said, talking about the Passover That it had nothing to do with the quality of the people inside. But the blood that was on the outside. I think that's kind of true with us too, isn't it? We're not saved because we're good quality people, are we? We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're saved by the grace of God. God commanded the Israelites then to make the Passover an annual memorial. They were to observe the meal exactly as it had been done in Egypt. That memorial served two purposes. One, to remind them of what God had done for them in Egypt. The salvation, the redemption, the exodus, the freedom from slavery. Now we learn later on, as they get into the promised land, that they hadn't celebrated the Passover for years while they were wandering in the wilderness. They'd not done that. And I wonder if that's why they were always griping and complaining all the time. Because they'd forgotten what God had done for them and how he had delivered them out of Egypt. But it was also an opportunity to teach their children a legacy to be passed on from generation to generation. We talk about this and we, you know, it is so important for generations to share with the next generations their faith. Their belief in God and what God has done for them. When I was at a freshman at Texas A&M, 
I walked into my, and I was in the court of cadets, and I walked into my dorm room the very first day. And sitting on my dresser was a binder, about that thick. And it said campusology on it. And I started flipping through it and looked at it. And it was, it was, we'd call it trivia, kind of, you know, Aggie trivia. Little did I know that by the end of my freshman year, I would be required to be able to quote every campusology that was in that book. You'd have so many a week you had to learn. And they'd get, and you know, the upperclassmen, if you didn't know it, it was push-ups. You know, you were doing, you were doing all of this. I blew my daughter's mind. We went to A&M and we're walking through campus. And in the middle of campus, one of the most important, uh, figures is Lawrence Sullivan Ross. Used to be governor of Texas. He was the governor that really saved Texas. This is more history than you want, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. He really saved Texas A&M because there was a big push at that time to merge Texas A&M with the University of Texas. We didn't need two universities. And Lawrence Sullivan Ross was adamant. He said, no, we're going to save this university. We're going to keep it there, you know. At the bottom of it, the statue is an inscription. And so I tell Brittany... I said, I want you to look at that inscription, and I've got my back to it. And I said, Lawrence Sullivan Ross, 1838 to 1898, soldier, statesman, knightly gentleman, Brigadier General CSA, governor of Texas, and president of the A&M College. That is word for word the inscription on that. See, Charlie, I can memorize some things. Not a poem. And that's the only one of all that whole book that I still remember. But what was the point of that? The point was to pass down the tradition. To pass down the heritage. To pass down that that feeling of camaraderie between generations of Aggies. That's what the Passover was for. It was so that the older generations could remind the younger generations what God had done for them and how great he had been and how he had led them out of Egypt and delivered them from Pharaoh and done all these great and marvelous things. And then the next generation could pass it on to the next generation. And I think that that is also one of the reasons that God instituted the Lord's Supper. Not so that you and I can remember. That's important. But it also gives us a chance to teach our children and remind them of what God has done in our lives. And I think it's interesting that when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we have the bread represents the body of the lamb. And then we have the fruit of the vine that represents the blood that was shed. Just like what happened on that Passover night all those years ago in Egypt. So God finally brings his last judgment on Egypt. Pharaoh and all of Egypt is wailing and moaning over the death of all the firstborn males. 
And Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. I've had enough of you. I'm tired of this. You can go. Now we know where we're going to pick up the story next time. Pharaoh is just, he just doesn't get it. If there's any way we can help or encourage you this evening, we invite you to come now as we stand and sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.